Hey everybody, this is The Week, Austin, Texas. I'm heading out. Uh, if you're listening to this, I'm probably already in Austin or flying over there right now. But the big live stream with Billy Bright, Kim Warner, and Paul Glass. Be sure to tune into the Facebook page, uh, Mandolin's and Beer Facebook page, or my private one. Or Billy, Kim's, or Paul's. I'm sure we'll all probably stream them from there, but I'm really looking forward to it. So that is this Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. Welcome to the Mandolins and Beer Podcast, episode number 64, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's part two with Ronnie McCoury. Man, the first one was so good, and the second one's just as excellent. So thank you all for tuning in. By the way, if you tune into that live stream, Peghead Nation, who is one of the sponsors, is also going to be giving away one one-year uh, subscription to a course of your choice. So any donation will be put into the drawing. I want to thank them. I want to thank the sponsors for the live stream as well, uh, Collings and Ellis, and of course, Mandolin Cafe. And then also, if you live in Austin, we are going to be doing an in-person clinic. That is almost sold out, though. Uh, there's only a few more seats left because we want to be socially distant, and I want to thank uh, St. Elmo Brewing for, for letting us do it there. So let's get into the sponsors here real quick. Our sponsor this week, of course, Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including Beginning Mandolin, Intermediate Bluegrass Mandolin, and Bluegrass Fingerboard with Sharon Gilchrist. Bluegrass Mandolin Jam Favorites and the Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh. Monroe Style Mandolin with Mike Compton. Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman. Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein. Irish Mandolin with Marla Feibish. And Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. Also want to thank Northfield Mandolins. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out Northfield's website at NorthfieldMandolins.com and download their app at Mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And then finally, Ear Trumpet Labs. Uh, They make hand-built microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed, have feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. Actually, I saw a great story on their Instagram feed where somebody had just gotten their Ear Trumpet Labs, and they did an unboxing, and they looked stoked, as they should be. All right, thanks again for listening, everybody. If you haven't already done so, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening and maybe leave a review on the iTunes store. That'd be fantastic. And also go to my Facebook and Mandolin page, or Facebook and Instagram pages uh, at Mandolins and Beer and uh, follow those as well. Thanks so much for listening. Here's part two with Ronnie McCurry where we left off. We were talking about the excellent collaboration CD, the Bluegrass Mandolin Extravaganza. I remember when I first started playing mandolin, you know, I didn't have like tons of money and I went to the library to their bluegrass section, which was, you know, 
tiny, but that, that CD was there. I'm like, well, this seems like exactly what I'm looking for. And then I got it. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what was well, the, had, what's the story behind putting that together? Well, I had the idea to do this and I had talked to David, you know, about it. Cause he had a record company and still does acoustic disc. And, uh, I, I said, man, would you be interested in doing this? Um, he's like, I, I don't know right now, you know, he's running a record company. He was a, you know, you gotta be, you gotta think things through, you know? And, um, and, and so, um, the idea was to Bill Monroe had passed, um, just a couple, let's see, this was about 98, I think 97, I think, or 98 when we were working on that. And, uh, Monroe had passed in 96 and I said, maybe we should do a, a record where we can show, uh, the guys that kind of the most influential in a way to me, uh, that had after Bill Monroe and, um, you know, to, like I said earlier, Bobby Osborne and Jesse McReynolds to me, that's kind of where things came from. Um, the three of those with Bill Monroe and, uh, Bobby with a lot of single note playing kind of like a guitar in a way and, and fiddle, he kind of put those two together and, and really, I I think the the modern bluegrass mandolin owes a lot to him. I really do. Um, and 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 so, you know, uh, Buck White who put the swing in it. You know. <laughs> He put the swing in this bluegrass mandolin stuff, and and Skaggs, who was, uh, man, he was very influential to same thing, modern mandolin, and his father-in-law's Buck White. So he had the swing, he had the old time. He's got that whole thing, that feel on Bill Monroe too, and you put it all together, it's Ricky Skaggs and uh, Frank Wakefield undeniably you know he was just as creative as anybody uh my dad was at a show where bill bill and frank were at and this was early 60s and he he said they were playing backstage and frank was just playing everything they were twinning stuff and he's playing note for note he knew everything he could just he knew everything bill monroe was doing and he said bill said frank you've got to get your own style <laughs> and <laughs> and he did <laughs> you know after that's when he started really um you know playing all kinds of different stuff and i and uh he he influenced david grisman he influenced me and 
among many people and uh had to include him had to have sam bush on there i mean <laughs> his influence is tremendous you know it's, it's just to me it's just the the influential guys you know um and there was some people that that you know i i would say could be left was left off or whatever but um for the most part the way we we had to do it was everybody lived in nashville except for david and frank wakefield and uh you know i knew how much frank meant to me and him for sure and and the bluegrass mandolin and just wanted to have him for sure involved so everybody was here it was after you know the holiday season it was like a january or something like that and and uh just wanted to focus on the mandolin by just having either two mandolins or a guitar and mandolin and really showcase these guys playing and oh man that was i played guitar on some of it my dad did most of the guitar playing and uh Oh, it's just wonderful, you know. I mean, it's a great memory for me that, and to and he just one day David said, "All right, man, let's just do this." And I said, he said, "Can you get it together?" You know, and I said, "Absolutely." And so I got everybody together, and David came in, and um, he's a he's also a great recording engineer. You know, he we had an engineer, but he's. He's done it for so many years and loves to be, loves to record, just loves it. And uh, so we put that thing together and I'm very, very proud of that. And uh, it's, it's done what I always wanted it to do. And we even talked about a uh, second one with the younger guys, you know, and um, which I'll, I, I, I'm not throwing that aside. I, someday would love to do it um oh that'd be amazing yeah yeah i mean there's so many of them now that are yeah i know it's wild and it's, it's so great that it was like such a uh i mean it obviously means so much to you but it, that it also means so much to so many people who play mandolin out there it's just like one of those one of those albums you have to have well, I appreciate that. It, uh, like I said, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you listen to it and you hear everybody's different style and, you know, uh, in their writing, you know, for the most part, everybody played an original tunes on there, you know, you kind of, you kind of, uh, What's not like? What's not to like? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And the great, like the the liner notes, everything about it, you know. And that's um, if you can. I think they still make the physical copy of it. I think it's still available to purchase that way. Yeah, yeah, I think it is till it runs out, probably. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I would recommend people go out and and get it now before you have to try and find it used for 150 bucks somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we, still, I still sell it here on our website. Oh, stuff. good, good. Yeah. Well, I'll put a link to it because everybody's got. Everybody should have a physical copy of that just for the notes and. Um, that's a that's a classic. I, I say that all the time on this podcast. People are like, oh, he's going to talk about notes. But that's like one thing I miss about physical music. I mean, it's great to have. It's great to be able to do a deep dive on anything with your phone in a in an instant. 
but there's something yeah. you miss about you know listening to albums and reading the notes while you're listening to the songs and ah that's absolutely that's so cool you know absolutely of course you know david is the master of those those notes you know he was the one he he's he just loves to do it you know and it's a, it's a beautiful package i'll put it that way <laughs> is there any recording sessions that you've done i mean your your discography and credits are like a huge list was there any any real big ones that you ever did where you were like holy cow this is uh this is how am i here <laughs> um i'm sure there's plenty of them <laughs> <laughs> uh you know i i back probably and i wasn't even playing the mandolin uh on two of these things i played guitar that i'm very proud of um just to be asked to play the guitar because i do like to play um basically i'm not a very good lead guitar player but i um i can get by but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm no cody kilby or brian sutton or whatever you know but uh I uh, I played rhythm guitar on a Jimmy Campbell fiddle record. Jimmy was uh, the fiddle player for Bill Monroe, and yeah. Bill Monroe played the mandolin. Oh, what? no way! Yeah. So, and it's these tunes of they're all Bills, and uh, I was really that that I'm very proud to be you know to play guitar with Bill Monroe on a record. And uh, then the, probably the next one where I played guitar was. A John Hartford record called uh, Wild Hogs in the Red Brush. Wild Hog in the Red Brush, here we go. played the guitar on that thing and Compton played Madeline. He, he was playing with John at the time and um, it was really cool just how we did that whole record. And and now, you know, there's a there's a tune on there called The Squirrel Hunters. This and is The Squirrel Hunters. play that thing everywhere you go anymore you know a lot of fiddle players do and and uh i just remember him showing it to us because it was an old old tune that he found you know and uh the way we did that record i'll just jump off here real quick about that it's pretty interesting um we all just kind of sat in a circle with a limited amount of uh uh leakage you know and um john would say okay uh i want each one of us uh for this tune uh we're gonna you're gonna you're gonna direct it and 
we're all looking at each other saying, what's he, what's he saying here? And he said, okay. Now, cause he didn't tell us beforehand, you know, and he said, I want, I want you to, um, I want you to, uh, when this, when this tune starts and we're playing along, which everybody look at each other. And if you want somebody to drop out, you, you just nod to them and they drop out and then you're down to, you know, so many instruments. And he said, you can, and then when you want them back in, you nod them back in. And he said, I don't care if we, if you nod down to just one instrument and I don't care if you nod down to no instruments. (laughs) 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 And then you can bring us back in, you know? (laughs) Wow. So, so, and then of course, if you did, you know, you might've done a take of it and then the next take, uh, you you know, you, you, it would be totally different, you know, because you're not, you you don't remember what you just did usually. (laughs) Yeah, of course, right. (laughs) So that was very interesting to me, you know, um, and then, you know, I've been, I've just, I've been so fortunate to record with so many different people. I mean, same thing when I was in Bluegrass Heaven there recording that extravaganza, you know, just being there and in the moment with everything. But, I, you know, I I don't like to, I don't know which, which would be better, you know, I got to record Willie Nelson. him for a couple of days and see how he does his thing you know and what he does and he just sing a song twice and he's done you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because the guy sings so good in tune you know and uh it's willing you know <laughs> and uh i mean all uh, there's a lot of bluegrass artists you know when you able to sit and play around with or whatever earl scruggs had a lot of picking parties and was around Earl and you know when you look I sit there and I'm looking at Earl and listening to Earl and realizing basically that's probably the reason that I'm playing this music because my father was so a banjo player and Earl Scruggs is the guy that did it for him you know and and that's the reason that he got into playing professional music he was a banjo player till Bill Monroe turn him into a guitar player singer (laughs) (laughs) you know just just look look across when you sit there and think wow this is the reason i'm doing this (laughs) man and you've also got you you're also a big uh jerry garcia fan yeah yeah how did that how did that come about for you well uh when I was a teenager and I was playing the mandolin and all my other buddies, uh, you know, were rock and rollers and, and just, you know, maybe non-musical, a lot of them, but uh, knew what they liked music-wise on the radio. They, I'd say, uh, they'd say, what, are, what is it? What's that little guitar thing you're doing there? What is that? And <laughs> I said, it's a mandolin. He said, oh, mandolin. You mean like uh, Led Zeppelin or the Grateful Dead or what and i said 
I said, do those guys have mandolin in their music? (laughs) 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 And then, of course, you know, you can't get away from, uh, you know, being a teenager and listening to popular music and you you get a car and you turn your radio on, you whatever back then, you know. So Led Zeppelin was huge. Mm -hmm. And... And uh, and I'd hear all this stuff, and then I'd I'd hear a Grateful Dead tune. I was like, "Who is that mandolin player? God, he's good." <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I'd already heard of Olden in the Way, and I had the record, and, and out Then I put two and two together <laughs> and realized that Jerry Garcia, who was in Old and Away, had this other band. <laughs> <laughs> this other little, this other side project. <laughs> and uh, and so you know, I it uh, I I said, wow, that's that's Grisman on you know Ripple and Friend of the Devil, and because you know they were. Friend of the Devil was one of the bigger tunes for the dead to be on radio, you know. And uh, so I always tell people we do some shows called The Grateful Ball where uh, we kind of play Grateful Dead songs, uh, bluegrass style. And, uh, and I tell people, you know, a lot of you folks that are Grateful Dead fans found out about bluegrass through old in the way and i'm just the opposite i found out about the grateful dead through old in the way (laughs) 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 but uh yeah and and you know i like i said in the in the early late 80s and early 90s i was around david a lot more crispin a lot more before i even moved to nashville it seemed like we played a lot more we were Every time we'd go to California, we'd go to his house and record and all this. Well, he had struck up his, he rekindled his friendship with Garcia about that time. And, uh, you know, from the 70s till then, you know, Garcia was, they just weren't around each other a lot, you know. David was doing his thing and he was doing the, the Grateful Dead thing and then, and then they kind of rekindled, and and that meant they did the same thing we were doing. We'd go to David's and record, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so you know it was uh, it was pretty neat. And at the same time, I I living in PA, I was playing in Washington D.C. Uh, on the mall there at uh, at the National Folk Festival, and my dad we played like two weeks. And we'd just go home every night, basically. It was only 75 miles home. And we'd go home and and uh, come back and play. And the guy that ran the stage, Ralph Rensler, was the one that put on the this show and got my dad to do it and everything. Which is, you know, Ralph is one of the great 
heroes of bluegrass, in my opinion. Uh, he named Bill Monroe. He gave him the moniker "Father of Bluegrass." You are the father of bluegrass. And uh, Ralph was there, but there was a guy named Tom Venom who was working for the Smithsonian, and he he kind of ran this stage we were on. And uh, we were just sitting around and talking, you know, and he was an older fella. And uh, we, the Grateful Dead were come to town. And I'd already seen the Grateful Dead with a couple of my buddies. We went to Philadelphia and saw him play. And that was Bob Dylan was, it was a co-bill. It was a great, you know. Gar Garcia played the steel guitar on the show and, it was just pretty, pretty, the first time I saw him, I thought, this is really cool, you know, the music, the, the scene, all that stuff. It's kind of like a bluegrass festival on steroids, you know, or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'd grown up I'd grown up going to festivals and, you know, running around crowds and things like that. So, but it was really cool. And then <clears throat> at this thing at the mall, uh, I said, wow, the Grateful Dead are coming to D.C. And Tom Venom said, wow, you want to go see him? And I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to, you know. And he said, I started telling him the story about, you know, my dad and David Grisman and Grisman and Garcia and all. He said, well, do you, you want to meet Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> I said, wow, that'd be really cool. And uh, he said, well, you know, I'm big friends with uh, Mickey Hart. Because I have written a couple books on drumming, and he would uh, go do these field recordings, say in in Haiti, and Africa, and places like that. And and Mickey Hart was reading his books, and they hooked up together. Eventually, wrote a book together, or had already done it by then. I can't remember, but um, he said, "Yeah, let me make a call or two. He said, "Okay, well, just here it is. You can, uh, you know, just go up to Will Call." And uh, get these. I've never been to a will call before. <laughs> Who, who's will call? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I got my credentials, but I, uh, and then he took me down. Uh, Dennis McNally did. He took me down to, to, to the uh, backstage, you know, and, uh, and I took about 10 cassette tapes. <laughs> that I had recorded uh, or transferred anyhow. Like one was my dad with Bill Monroe uh, in 1963 in Berkeley, California. Um, and a lot of my dad's stuff that had been going on in live shows. And, and uh, you know, I read that he was into live shows. Well, you know, later on I realized he probably taped that Berkeley show himself. You know? <laughs> right, right. You know, he was a big taper. And so I took these cassettes as kind of a, a gift, you know, and and we went on. Uh, he was the show was about to start. He was sitting on the stage in a cubby hole in a corner surrounded by all the amplifier cases and stuff. And he's sitting back there smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and Dennis took me there and uh, introduced me to him. And he said, hey, Ronnie, how you doing? I'm Jerry Garcia. <laughs> I said, yeah, man. I said, it's so nice to meet you. I'm Del McCurry's son and all this, you know, and laid these cassette tapes on him. I didn't know what to say. You know, I was just, I think I was 19 or 20 or something, you know. Wow. And uh, then 
you know, I just said hellos and all that, and then I'd, I'd go to shows after that. But I would call David a lot of times, and David would be say, hey, man, here, talk to this guy. And he'd just hand the phone over to Garcia. Wow. And, you know, I'd, <laughs> I, of course, I didn't know what to say. I probably just fumbled around and, you know, all this kind of thing. I, uh, but long story short, uh, David always was good at buying and selling instruments, and I looked up to him so much. I thought, oh, man, I could, I should try this. I'm trying to make a living playing music and all that. I found a couple old-time banjos in a local newspaper, and I went to this place, and I bought them. And I come back to the house, and I call David and tell him about them. And uh, he says, yeah, oh, yeah, they're probably worth this and that, you know, and all that. And uh, he, then he, he calls me up and says, man, I think I know somebody might be interested in it. And, and so he, he hooks me up with Garcia. And I, so I... I, they come back, you know, they did their yearly thing or whatever, come back to D.C., and I, I go down there, and I take my dad, uh, my wife, and, well, we weren't married yet, but and my brother and my sister, we all went down there for this thing. And um, so we go down to D.C., and, and uh, they just finished their sound check. Said They said, that Garcia called me, and... <laughs> And uh, I was talking to him, and he said, just show up at this time and that, you know. And so we did. And it was great. It was after sound check, and they sat there, and uh, Jerry was genuinely uh, just wide open to listening to my dad talk, you know. And and they were talking about music and banjos and, and banjo players and bluegrass, you know, and all this. <laughs> and. Uh, and I was just sitting there, you know, because I was, like I said, 20 years old, wide-eyed. and um, He turned to me and said, I want you to know your dad was a big influence to me when I started playing. And that's, that's all I needed to hear. Dad was the coolest guy in the hood, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, that is so cool. Holy cow. Yeah, long story short, you know, he bought the banjos and uh, he took them and I thought it was pretty interesting. I got a check in the mail, and it was from the Grateful Dead. It wasn't Jerry. It was from the Grateful Dead. Oh, no kidding. So they owned uh, they owned everything, you know, which, you know, to each their own. That's their own business. But I just thought I, I thought that was very interesting, you know. Yeah, that is interesting. Huh. Uh, but, and of course, you know, they made some great records together, David and him. I, I really, uh, I really enjoy them. You know, they just, and it, and it ended too, too soon. But, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. Those albums have some, some super heart and soul in them. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can like, it's like you're sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> just lovely. A symphony. So when, when should we all come in? <laughs> I thought you was going to trickle in. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is, you know. In the documentary, you know, that uh, Jillian Grisman made. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, all that stuff, you know. Yeah, thank goodness there's like such a great, like so much recording of it. Again, like you said, like Grisman loves recording stuff. That guy's, he's, you know, right down to the, I mean, like the kitchen tapes that um, that he did when he was like young. It was at Red Allen and... And Frank. Yeah, Red and Frank. Yeah. I know it. <laughs> like, guy I was know a, it. he was ahead of the game, man. <laughs> he, he really was, you know. Um, just, God, he's, uh, besides being so influential on the mandolin, he's just recorded and been involved in some great stuff through the years, man. For sure. <laughs> man, do you have any, uh, do you have like a, like a classic Bill Monroe story? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> that you could share. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <clears throat> well, we moved here in 92, and I was 24 or 5, something like that. And uh, he died in 96. And I was lucky enough to, you know, go to the Cracker Barrel and eat, eat lunch with him, you know. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> eat dinner with him a couple times, and uh, he... He was just, uh, he knew that how much I loved it and loved the mandolin and, and, uh, he really liked my dad. My dad was a quiet guy. Uh, at 24, he was in Bill's band and just, they were, they sung great together and he played good rhythm guitar for Bill. And, and so he, he was very respectful of my father. And, uh, I mean, I've heard him talk. <laughs> bad about a lot of people but <laughs> you know uh, or not really bad but just you know you know what i'm saying oh it's, sure for sure yeah yeah but my dad always said you know he grew up on a farm like bill monroe and he worked hard and he said if you worked hard you were on bill's side <laughs> 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 he had no time for lazy people and uh and so I think that's when I say he might talk bad about certain people or whatever. It was just that. It was kind of the work ethic, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When I was uh, that first summer, uh, I was 14, and I played with my dad in May. And in uh, June of that year, we went to uh, from our house to Bean Blossom. From Bean Blossom to um, Grass Valley, California, and turn around and came straight home. But we went to Bean Blossom and played. Uh, Dad did like two or three days, I think it was. Well, Bean Blossom used to be 10 days long. And it was the, <laughs> yeah. it, it was the end of the, of the 10th day that weekend, you know. And I... Uh, Oh, I just so love Bill Monroe, you know, and um, I was standing there on the stage uh, backstage with my head peeking out the corner and Bill was doing his show and man, the next thing you know, he walks over to me and he takes his mantle off and puts it around my neck and uh, he said, get out here, boy. And, uh, so I went out on stage with Bill playing his mandolin, and he was leading, uh, like it was a, uh, 
you know, uh, the, basically the end of the whole thing. It was either Saturday night or I think it was a Saturday night. And he was closing the show out and he was doing a medley of tunes, you know, Blue Moon of Kentucky and a couple other tunes. They were, you know, up tempo and uh, not the slower version, but then, you know, he was just doing a medley. And he let me play along with him, you know. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just, you can imagine, you know, putting that mandolin in somebody's hands. And and uh, I, I was pretty young. I, I didn't quite understand it all. I do now. <laughs> <laughs> how, how incredible it was. And he did that to me a couple times. And uh, that's that that's some great memories i have of him and i've got a i've got a when we did move to nashville later and it was in my 20s and got to visit him at his house you know and he was still writing a lot of tunes you know and he called me one time i've got a a, a message i kept and it says uh, uh ronnie uh, this is bill monroe and uh, i've got some tunes Bye. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, he left the message, and it was like, you know, he wanted to show me these tunes, you know. (laughs) Wow. Holy cow, man. (laughs) But, you know, I owe owe a lot of that, most of it, to my father, you know, just because I'm I'm a product of this music, you know. I think it's so great too that you've you've carried on like the musical tradition, and um and I love like the traveling McCurries too is like, um you you have kind of like the best of both worlds, man. I mean you have <laughs> as bluegrass as you can get with the Del McCurry band. I mean, is that is the real deal? That's as real as you can go and get anywhere in this you know right now. You know what I mean? And then and then you have the traveling McCurries, which has got that the roots in that, but then it kind of ha- it's it's like its own different thing. Only know you've been high when you're feeling low Only hate the road when you're missing home Only know you love her when you let her go that too which is so fun well you know i i kind of i think most of us in the in the band think this is you know we're already in as good as it gets bluegrass <laughs> yeah yeah for sure <laughs> you know and uh, and so we had to do something to to make us a little different and and my dad uh, about when he he's 81 and when he was about 70 72 somewhere around there he just kind of got us together and said look now if something would happen to me or something happened to my voice uh and i just couldn't do this anymore you you guys would have to just start cold and uh maybe it's a good idea if you just you got you guys get out and do something well uh here we are you know 10 years later whatever and it's it's worked and and we had to do something to set us apart you know because uh in the beginning it was a lot of oh this is just the dellless mccurry band <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> <laughs> and i get it you know I, sure. we didn't 
you know, we were, I totally get it. And I can't help it. When I open my mouth, I sound <laughs> a lot like my dad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and um, so it's just trying to find different songs. And, and I always enjoyed some, uh, you know, I guess, you know, it starts with Newgrass Revival, but now it's called Jam Bands, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and and uh, where you could do some extended playing, you know, and, and, you know, when you play traditional bluegrass, it's, it's, it's pretty set forward, you know, verse, chorus, solo, verse, chorus, solo, and you're done, you know, a lot of that, you know. And so just to be able to stretch out a little bit and play different things is something I, I know I always wanted to do. And, and so that kind of helps us set it apart a lot with my dad and and also the song selection or uh, basically, I mean, excuse me, also getting Jason Carter and Alan Bartram singing more, you know, they're just great singers, you know. And uh, then you throw in Cody Kilby with that. He's just... Boy, what a musician the guy is! Holy cow! <laughs> you know, when I when I met him, he was just a little boy playing the banjo. He was a prodigy, and then the next thing he jumped on was the mandolin, and he was playing that. I really so good, and then he just totally got into the guitar. And uh, as we all know, he he spent fourteen years with Ricky Skaggs, and and he was ready for a change, and and. Um, he played the very first Travel McCurry's gig. <laughs> oh, did he really? Did. He did. Wow. And uh, and then after that, boy, we he was you know we weren't we didn't have enough shows to to hire anybody, and and so we would just kind of get a guy here and there uh, if we had shows booked, and boy, we had I mean the the people we had play guitars it was just incredible, you know I mean. We did shows with Tony Rice, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, of course, Tominsky did some. Jeff White did a lot. Um, Bill Nershey from String Cheese Incident did a lot. Oh, my. Uh, we have a list that Jeff Autry. Um, I can't even begin to think of everybody. Steven Mojan, but uh, Tons of guitar players played Sutton. He played quite a few with us. And and uh, we got to the point where we were um, just getting a lot of dates. And we needed to figure it out. So about four or five years ago is when we hired Cody. And um, now we have a – we've had a – besides this year, boy, we would have had a big year this year. But, man, we're playing 125 shows or something like that. And, or my 150, I think it was. It was like, you know, at one point it was half dad, half uh, or three quarters dad, and a little bit of travelers, and then it went to half and half, and that's how it is. That's how it is, you know. Um, as we're uh, these days, it's just, and my dad doesn't want to slow down at all, but. Um, that's just kind of, you know, the way things are turning out. It's just a lot of dates for the travelers. We've had some success. Sure. Well, yeah, and you got to, you know, in this business, <laughs> you got you know, you to strike while the iron's hot. So you can't really, you got to take those gigs 
Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, we, and you know, I mean, that's just trying to, you know, enjoy my dad's, uh, twilight years playing a lot of music and, and trying to make our own way. It's, it. I think you're. I think you're. Think you're doing it. So, well, this year aside. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's it's been. I mean, and nobody's a bigger champion than my mom and my dad for the travelers. And man, we we finally got it together and and made a record and and got a bluegrass Grammy for it. And I just, you know. They were there right with us when we all went to L.A., you know, they were. <laughs> and. Uh, but, you know, we've. Uh, I'm truly blessed, you know, in so many ways, you know, that's amazing, man. <laughs> well, speaking of awards, too, um, uh, you did win the IBMA mandolin player of the year eight consecutive years <laughs> so, so i'd like to just maybe just for a couple minutes pick your mind a lot of people obviously who listen to podcast are just like some some day pickers or beginners or but um you know what are some what are some tips that you could maybe give one of the questions i usually ask is if you had 10 minutes a day to work on something what would you recommend somebody work on but you might have a you might have a few more tidbits of advice that might do some players some good well um you know, when when I started out, <clears throat> I didn't play scales. Now, now all I can speak about basically is what I the way that I learned. You know, it's hard for me to tell anybody uh, what what might be good for them. But what I had to do was I was in a band. So if you are lucky enough to be in a band or get somebody to play with. Um, that means an awful lot. That really pushes you too to to have something to play off of, as they say. And um, when I started out, I was learning my dad's kickoffs to songs, as they say, mm -hmm. and, and and tunes that were in his repertoire already. Now uh, the same thing. If I if I do play, I I. Uh, when I pick it up, you know, I like to keep my <laughs> keep my hands limber, you know, by by playing a lot of tunes that I uh, work on now it might be fiddle tunes because I never did that a lot. Right? You know? Do you have a favorite? Like, if you were to pick up your mandolin right now, do you have one that would just that you would go to right away? Um, you know, I play uh, what I like to play a lot for my fingering. <laughs> is it's a Huckleberry Hornpipe? enjoyed that tune um that or brilliancy has kind of been up in the, in the ones that i play a lot just for my fingers you know i you know i know the tune it's just that it's good for my fingers <laughs> <laughs> right. it, 
you know, it wakes them up a little bit. Um, and that's, you know, it's a mid tempo type of thing, you know, um, I've always liked to tremolo. So, uh, I'll play, uh, maybe a waltz or something like that. Or a lot of times for me, anyhow, I just kind of noodle. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, I, I don't know if that helps anybody that's just learning to play the mandolin, what I'm saying, but... Um, How would you recommend somebody approach tremolo? Well, that's all... It all goes back to the wrist, you know. It all goes back to the wrist. And if you can keep a real loose wrist, you're going to have a good, smooth tremolo. Um, a lot of people, if I'm teaching you know, a lot of times we'll do we have an academy at Dell Fest at our festival and we teach for like three days or something we've done it for many years now and I've I've done quite a few workshops and academy things through the years you know and and uh, you know that I can't overstate the loose wrist for something like that that helps with speed it helps with a tremolo um but, you know, uh, it's just the, the, just to keeping the uh, a uniform back and forth on the string, you know. <laughs> sure. S- speaking of speed, I would guess you have to get some pretty good volume to project. I mean, you guys play in mics with, with the, the Del McCurry band. Um, yeah. how, how do you maintain such clean picking at such high speeds, you know, and I would I guess pretty, pretty decent volume? <laughs> Well, you know, that's another thing about what we do uh, with my dad um, is when you're playing in a band like that, uh, everybody has to project to play around a mic, couple mics like that, because, um, you know, that's a that's a question too. a lot of people say, well, we, we got to we're trying to do the one or two mic thing and we get feedback and. We just can't get it right. The mic wants the feedback, and 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 we can't hear this guy when he was trying to play. And I I say, well, you know, part of the of the deal when you're working around these mics is everybody has to be able to project pretty good mm-hmm. and play at the same type of volume. You can't have a guy that's playing really light, and the rest of them are all playing hard. It's one or the other. <laughs> right. <laughs> and 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 so yeah, when when you when you play like that and you are playing kind of hard, you know, I, I, I use a kind of a heavier pick and uh, I kinda I always have, um, for me, for what I what I do, you know, it's, for the tone that I'm trying to get, it seems like a heavier pick works in that situation. What kind of pick? Uh, it's, it's the, um, the blue chip. I, I, for many years used, uh, the dog pick probably 10 or 15 years. And then, uh, I was out at Rocky grass at a mandolin camp and it, <laughs> it was me and Feely and Mike Marshall, I think. And I think Marshall was using a pro Oh, the yeah, and- yeah. The, the Andrea Proplex. And I said, well, I'm going to try that thing. It's, it's a little bigger, and it's got a point. Well, I tried it, and uh, I used that thing for a couple of years. And then <laughs> everybody got on the blue chip kick, and I thought, well, I might as well try this and see what I'm missing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And 
and I I got on it and uh, I was using that sixty and it's a uh, the bigger pick I, I I can never remember it was something R mm-hmm. something uh, the TP or something oh yeah TPR yeah TP one R and and so uh, I I got to using that thing uh, the sixty and. You know, as many shows as we were playing, <clears throat> I kind of got a little bothered in my um, thumb, the knuckle on my thumb. And uh, I was probably playing, I mean, we were playing a lot. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> and, and not only that, but, you know, two hours each time or more, you know, a night. And so I found that... Uh, I needed to do something a little different. So I went to the 50 of that blue chip and that's kind of what I've been using right now. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, my, uh, I just think from overuse, you know? Sure. Oh yeah. And, uh, it's like if you, uh, I, I kind of, you know, I never thought about it, but now I'm 53, I'm kind of feeling some things. And, uh, I saw, I read this, was around Tony Rice quite a bit, you know, and Tony was having, he just said, man, that he's, you know, he does, he's not playing. He's not playing as we all know. And, uh, he says it's his thumb and he felt like he was going to lose his pick a lot, you know, and he just, that, that thumb joint is wore out, you know, and if you watch, if you watch the way he plays, when you get a close up on that right hand, you know, the way he moves that that whole thumb, uh, it's got a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And and he said, Man, I've just played a D twenty eight for fifty, sixty years and it's wore me out, you know. Man. What a, <laughs> what a bummer though. It can happen, you know. Sure. Uh, you know, Holy cow. Uh, my dad, my dad went from, you know, a pick to, uh, he got down to where he would wear, he, he, he plays a dog pick or a blue chip himself. And, and both of them are round like a quarter. Right. And I, I, you know, I try to do that and I, I don't see how he does it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but it works for him, you know, and, uh, but that's the kind of pick I've been using. And so when you um, when you go from uh, playing like rhythm and chopping and stuff like that, and step up to the mic for your solos, how much how much lighter do you play when you switch to playing single notes, or is it the same sort of velocity? <clears throat> Gosh, I don't even think about it. Much. <laughs> I bet, bet not. Well, <laughs> I would. You know, I would say it's about the same. It's just. Um, uh, and, and, you know, when Daniel, when we play with the Travis McCurries, we are plugged in and we have in-ear monitors. And uh, our front of house engineer has a pickup signal sent to him for my mandolin. And I also have a uh, microphone on my mandolin, a clip on microphone that he blends. Oh, but, cool. 
but myself, I can't really stand the sound of a pickup. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, especially in my ears, I just hear a lot of the ticket, 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 ticket from the pick, you know? Yeah. So I, I use all, well, it's, it's all, basically all, uh, microphone unless we're in a really loud place and I, it'll feed the microphone back, you know? Sure. But, uh, in that situation, you know, it's easier to, uh, you can, uh, what you're talking about there, go from rhythm to picking is a little, it's a little easier to do. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because when you're, when you're playing around a couple mics, the volume uh, that you're hearing is just the volume of the band behind you, and you do hear some of the front of the house. Um, but when you're, playing in that you got to put project more is what i'm trying to get at mm-hmm. and then when you step up to solo you you do want to project more of that but to me um it's it's definitely uh harder to do what we do with my dad oh i can't imagine <laughs> you know, i can't imagine <laughs> and it looks so easy that's the crazy thing and, and then you try it you know what i mean it's it's crazy well, how I, good it sounds. And and just how not only I mean, not only do you guys look cool when you play live with the suits, but you look cool cuz you're just so relaxed. <laughs> that hands loose and you're just like, "God, dang it." It's like the coolest mandolin player around. <laughs> well, like I said, it's it's uh it's it's hard to do what we're doing, but and and we did a uh project with the preservation hall jazz band and we'd come off stage and the those guys there's one the clarinet player is like five generations new orleans musician and he's 86 years old he'll come by and he'll say we fooled him again (laughs) (laughs) you know absolutely oh that's so great well, man, I've got I've got one last question for you, and um, All right. and uh, that is the beer question. Do you have a favorite beer? <laughs> yeah, I like uh, Lagunitas All Day IPA. Oh, love it! <laughs> I love it, man. That, that's my favorite. I just uh, I I you know I like Lagunitas quite a bit. I used to like Sierra Nevada quite a bit. Um, I like the hoppier beers, but. Um, you know, I just kind of that all day IPA is just to me. It's uh, for for my taste, anyhow. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, man, I can't I can't thank you enough for doing this. I mean, it is. Hey, we talked a long time to get to that beer question. We did. I know. <laughs> I just looked up. I, I try not. To, I try never to look at the uh, at the uh, Pro Tools that I'm running this into at the time. And I just looked up and I'm like, I got one more question. I'm like, holy cow! Again. <laughs> Like, so I really, I can't, I just thank you for taking so much time to do this today. I think I filled your hard drive up. Oh man, plenty of hard drive, plenty of hard drive. It is, but it has been a pleasure today. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh yeah, man. It's been good talking with you, Daniel. I I appreciate you uh, asking me to do it. Absolutely. So great, man. Rodney McCurry, just the best. I'm looking forward to seeing him in Charleston with the Traveling McCurries. Make sure to check out and see where you can go and, and watch Ronnie and the fellas live. And thank you so much for listening. Please tune into Austin, Mandolins and Beer on Facebook, and then, on, of course, my private page and uh, Billy, Kim, and Paul Glass's pages as well. I'm sure you'll be able to watch them. Uh, and cheers, everybody. 
talk to you next week. 